0: No matter what, everyone has something about them. They have some issue that they're dealing with. They have some struggle. It's not just localized to the chronically ill community or disabled people. We don't need to pretend like we have it together all the time. And I think there's beauty, like you said, in sharing those struggles and just being real with one another. You just clicked on Radically Honest Podcast. We're
1: demystifying the keys to success in our digital age through the art of raw storytelling. Welcome back, everyone. It's your host, Asam Lee, and today I am joined with Melody Olander. Thank you so much for having me on with you. I am so excited to get to talk with you today. Melody, it's a pleasure to have you. So a little bit of background. Melody is a social media influencer. She's also the founder of the nonprofit, But You Don't Look Sick. And this really came from her battle with a rare neurological disorder for over six years, which I can't wait to ask you about today. And she decided she wanted to show the realities of what it's like to live with an invisible illness, chronic illnesses, et cetera, and advocate for the better treatment of patients, which I love. And of course... I'll be asking you to plug all your socials, but you also host But You Don't Look Sick official as on Instagram. And so can't wait to get into that with another fellow podcast host. But Melody, do you have anything that I missed
0: or anything you'd like to say more about your journey? Yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers it. But just a little bit of background for myself. I think everyone assumes that you're an influencer from day one or it's something that you went looking for. It started really organically, just sharing my conversation and my story with others and talking with others and realizing we had something in similar with this phrase, but you don't look sick. Being told it kind of in a dismissive tone constantly started the profile up in that way. So many people related to it felt in similar ways with what I was sharing and what I was experiencing, along with a lot of people having similar conditions. It's been amazing to see the feedback and the growth. Once I saw how much it grew, I knew that I needed to do something more with it. So that's where the nonprofit started from with everyone responding so well to it and knowing that it could make a bigger difference. You've definitely
1: attracted an audience, tens of thousands of people that truly resonate with your mission and your why. Tell us a little bit about some of your passions and how they developed over the years.
0: Yeah, of course. I'm very much a type A personality. I love learning new things. I love studying. School and academics has always been my main focus. I went to university on a full-ride scholarship. I studied biological sciences and pre-med on that side of things, not being a patient. And then ended up getting my master's degree in healthcare solutions. Studying and academics is a huge priority in my life, and I love learning. But besides that, I have so many hobbies, snowboarding, archery. I have a dog and a cat, always playing with them, taking them to the park. My family and I recently learned how to fly planes together. So, I mean, we're always just doing crazy things, and I love learning new stuff.
1: I actually tried snowboarding for the first time last month, and it was phenomenal. I loved it. It was such a thrill. My boyfriend was my instructor, and he was actually very patient with me. I loved the adventure sport on a snowy mountain. Never done that before. Yeah, also the academic passions. It's quite crazy how much you go through in your personal life that spills over into your professional life. When you were a student studying medicine, what did you learn that made you more connected to the mission that you drive today with your nonprofit?
0: I think the biggest thing for me was seeing that there was such a disconnect between what you are learning on the academic side of things versus what patients are actually experiencing. Seeing firsthand that disconnect and studying it in a classroom and seeing what they say patients are going through and what they say patients are feeling is very different when you're actually in the seat for yourself and experiencing it firsthand as a patient. There's a lot of issues that I guess the medical field doesn't think of and doesn't acknowledge because they don't speak and collaborate with patients. For me, that was my main focus was really giving a voice to the chronically ill community and those who are patients because it's about them. The doctors are working for the patients. It's not the other way around, even though it feels that way a lot of the time. That was a huge focus of mine and something I realized was really missing currently.
1: Take us back to that initial diagnosis of your neurological disorder. What did that feel like to you, that journey from that onset? Like, what were your pain points there?
0: Actually, overnight that all of my symptoms developed, I went to sleep Mm -hmm. fine. Next morning, woke up. I couldn't see out of my left eye. I was in excruciating pain in my head, killer migraine. I was having nerve pain for the first time in my life. Started screaming for my mom at that point. I'm blind. I don't know what's happening. She took me to the ER. They were checking for strokes, etc. They couldn't figure out what was going on. So they decided to medically sedate me. They'd run all these tests, still couldn't figure out what was going on. I ended up Checking myself out of the hospital because I don't know, it was a week or two weeks of them not being able to figure out what was going on. And I was supposed to actually be walking at my graduation during that time. I was not about to be staying in there. My symptoms progressed way worse over the next few months. I wasn't able to walk more than a few steps without passing out. My heart rate was always going crazy. I couldn't keep any food down without throwing up immediately. Really having all these pretty severe symptoms and no doctors really able to tell me what was happening. The most they assumed was that I had an eating disorder since I was throwing up with food. Even though that wasn't the case, that's kind of what they kept coming back to. Oh, well, you're severely underweight. It must be an eating disorder. It took years for a doctor to actually take it seriously and really run the proper test before I was diagnosed first with EDS, then with POTS, And then about a year after that, I finally found another neurologist who diagnosed me with CIDP.
1: I can't even imagine what that must have been like for you, especially still being a college student and about to embark onto a new chapter of your life. You had said almost dismissive tone that people have toward chronical illnesses. What did that teach you about the lack of visibility currently in our environment and community around these types of illnesses, especially the more rare and like less diagnosed ones?
0: I mean, for me, honestly, just with talking and sharing my story and talking with other people, something I've come to realize is everyone's struggling with something. Everyone is struggling in some regard and it's not visible. You can't see when you're walking down the street that someone's mom just died or that someone's aunt is in the hospital or that someone just got diagnosed with stage four cancer. You can't see these things. There's so much talk about, oh, but you don't look sick or, but you look so happy. You're not going to sit around pouting. You're not going to sit around crying all the time. You don't see people at their worst all the time. You see them when they want you to see them and what they want you to see. For me, that was a huge lesson for me in realizing when people yell at me or when they're angry at me, I can see that they're hurt themselves or they're struggling. Whereas before, I would just kind of think, damn, what a jerk. <laughs> it's given me a completely different perspective on understanding people, I think. That
1: is powerful. Just the idea of empathy, not only for yourself but for others, not making assumptions about someone's life or how easy they have it, etc., just because of things that you see on social media or even in person. Peeling back the surface levelness of the way that we just perceive each other. Taking it back a little bit further, before that diagnosis, what was growing up like for you? And do you remember? I mean, you said you were very type A growing up and I could relate to that. Do you remember thinking that you wanted to do any of what you're doing right now, whether it's sharing that message, building a community around this cause or even being a podcast host?
0: The funny thing is my passion growing up I always wanted to be a wildlife vet and even going into college, I went into the medical field because that was the first step for veterinary. My college didn't necessarily have the veterinary classes, but the vet schools were okay with you taking all the medical classes and that fitting the requirements. For my first year of college, I was really interested in veterinary and didn't really think much about the medical route. But the more I was taking these classes and then started experiencing it for myself on a patient level, I just became more passionate about it and more interested in it. And then seeing what they were teaching in the school books, what they were talking about not being accurate and then sharing my perspective. I would have so many people tell me, like, oh, why aren't you going into the medical field? Or why don't you teach? Or why don't you talk about this stuff? It didn't interest me and I didn't necessarily think about it until I feel like I kept getting pushed into that direction. Getting my master's degree really helped, really gave me that confidence in advocating, learning a different perspective of it. It wasn't necessarily something I ever intended on, but I've loved the journey and I think everything's worked out exactly how it's supposed to.
1: I do think there are certain triggers, I guess we have in our lives that make us realize, okay, like I'm actually passionate about this medicine more than I am about veterinary whatever. Those things are so poignant and powerful in shaping the trajectory of your path. You wouldn't have reached the people that you have reached today without this sort of recourse. So it's definitely important to not be afraid to like take that leap of faith. As far as founding, but you don't look sick, You had said a little bit more about your why. What is the mission? Can you break it down for us a little further?
0: I have a rare disease. With having a rare disease, insurance isn't required to pay for your treatments or your medications because they're not, quote unquote, proven to cure the disease. When you have a rare disease, there's generally not a lot of research done because it's so rare they're not paying for research. So there's no proof of these cures. Insurance and doctors are easily able to deny us coverage, deny us our medications. And when most people find out about that, they're like, well, how's that even legal? Mm -hmm. It's so surprising that even when I was finding it out in school and learning about it in that way and then experiencing it for myself, I felt the same. How is this legal? I was in my neurologist's office. The condition that I have is a demyelating disease. So it means my myelin sheath is constantly breaking down. Treatment for that is called IVIG. It'll protect your myelin sheath from further breaking down. So it's not necessarily a cure, but it'll prevent your body from further breaking down. Without it, your organs don't function properly. You end up in a wheelchair. And I was told Mm -hmm. from my neurologist, once they finally diagnosed me, there's this treatment. It's not proven to cure it, but it helps a lot of people reach remission. The only thing is it's not covered by insurance and it's $10,000 per (laughs) infusion. People need it every two weeks. Right there, I'm faced with $20,000 every month. How is that realistic? My parents, I could just see them break when they heard that option. My mom sold her house. My parents really did whatever they could do to pay for the medication. I set up a GoFundMe. It was so stressful and so hard. That's something that a lot of people are facing. A lot of people are deciding whether to buy their groceries or buy their medication, whether they're going to pay their electrical bill or they're going to go to the doctor's that week. So many people don't even think about or realize, how are you supposed to get better when you're panicking and thinking about how to get better or rationing out your medications? That was a big purpose of but you don't look sick. I wanted to be able to pay for patients' bills, start raising those funds so patients don't have to stress out about it. Start that conversation. People are aware how screwed up the system is and that this is something happening.
1: Tell us a little bit about the lives that you've been able to impact through the organization, like the people that you've been able to help fund their medication.
0: We just actually turned into a nonprofit a few months ago. Like We got our letter from the IRS She's passed like three weeks saying that we're officially a 501c3 status. We have quite a few exciting fundraiser events happening. I'm in Arizona, so we're teaming up with some local areas for a polo tournament and a golf tournament to raise funds. Then we're also working with a lot of federal grants. Really getting all of that started right now, kind of building that fundraising. I'm hoping soon that it'll be able to help so many people and When that's available, we're going to have a patient portal on our website to where people can just apply and say how much money they need, who the doctor is that we can contact, sign off on the required documents so we don't have to deal with any of that, oh no, you can't pay their bills. Not have to make it a public thing because with GoFundMe, it feels like it's a popularity contest with your life. I don't want people to have to feel that way.
1: Especially having gone through that, your empathy is like up the (laughs) roof because you totally understand what these people are going through. I think that's awesome. Congratulations on becoming a nonprofit. Let's talk about the conversational aspect of what y'all do. You wrote, but you don't look sick. Tell us a little bit more about that content and what people should know about the less talked about topics regarding these invisible illnesses.
0: It's funny because that art journal and that book was really the start of everything. For me, it really started during the beginning of all of this. I actually kind of lost the ability to use my hands. I got meningitis multiple times. I ended up in a wheelchair. I had seizures constantly and tremors. So my hands would shake nonstop. I was a student. I used to be an artist and this was beyond frustrating for me. I remember one day breaking down in my psychologist office saying like, I can't use my hands, I can't draw, everything just looks like scribbles. And her advice was, Mm -hmm. well, if you can scribble, then just scribble. It made me so frustrated. And I was like, this is the worst advice ever. (laughs) But (laughs) I went home and I scribbled my frustrations out in this journal. I don't know how much time passed. I realized it kind of looked like a drawing. It kind of looked like some sort of art thing. I felt kind of better. And I was like, okay, well, maybe she's kind of right. I don't know. I just kind of started drawing in this book. Eventually, I was able to use my hands again. Everything was able to become more detailed. I was writing quotes in there from therapy, things that were helping me, things I was feeling. Over the course of a few years, I realized this 100-page art journal was finished. I just showed it to my friends and family. I was like, this is weird. I finished it, and it's weird flipping Back through the past couple of years, seeing how I felt back then versus now. My friends and family wanted copies out of that art journal. They're like, I really like this drawing or I really like this part of the book. Can I have this? I said sure and I made copies of it just for them. A few of them were like, okay, well, how much would it cost to copy the whole thing? Figured it out and posted it just for them to be able to print it. The funny thing is, I was kind of discouraged at the same time with some friends in my group and friends with my boyfriend because they didn't understand how sometimes I looked so fine. And then how sometimes I was in the hospital or couldn't do things. They were like, well, most of the time she looks fine. And I was ranting to my boyfriend and I was like, this is so annoying. They don't get it. They don't get what it's like. And he was like, well, how do you expect people to know your story if you don't tell your story? And for me, it was one of those moments where you were like, "Damn, you're right," you know. Like, (laughs) Like, yeah, you're like, "Damn, all right, that got me." You're right. My ranting kind of stopped. I thought, okay, well, if I already copied this for friends and family, what if I published it for other people? Being facetious, title it "But You Don't Look Sick" because I was annoyed with people saying "But You Don't Look (laughs) Sick." I just published it and kind of forgot about it. I guess I posted on Amazon. I. Did a first set of copies, let people buy it through Etsy. And then it kind of started blowing up. People started reaching out to me to interview me about it. My personal social media page just was getting filled with all these friend requests and messages of people saying, like, oh, I get told this all the time, or I really related to this drawing or this part of your book. It became really overwhelming because I didn't want to ignore all these people. Their stories were really personal and really raw. I also didn't want to accept all these random friend requests for people I didn't know. A few weeks that had passed where I was just at this awkward like, standstill of, I don't know what to do. I wasn't a very public person. I wasn't sharing my story and my life. So I was like, you know what? I'll just make a separate social media page titled, But You Don't Look Sick. I can talk to people over there and it'll be separate from there. It ended up exploding <laughs> and people have really responded to it. So it's been amazing.
1: This such like stripped down art journal, you exposing yourself in a very artistic manner from your low points to the high points. I love that. It is such a compelling story. And I'm so glad that this organic piece of self-expression was able to reach so many people. When you reflect on your career journey, I guess, because this is part of your career now, this platform that you have and this nonprofit, where have you felt really in touch with your humanity if that was your empathy for all these people that are struggling or your desire to just for people to understand just because you don't look sick doesn't mean you aren't sick. All of that, like, were there any key moments that really just hit you and you remember them?
0: I can't even tell you the number of times where I've read messages that I received and I break down crying because they're just so kind or they've made a difference where someone messaged me that they weren't getting along with their parents for years and couldn't find a way to communicate with their parents because every time they talked to them, they would say, yeah, you look fine. Like you're kind of being dramatic. She said she stopped this relationship with her parents completely. She said that Over some of the posts I had made and some of the blog posts I had written, she had shared those with her parents. They ended up being able to reconnect their relationship and have a conversation and her be like, it's really hurtful when you keep saying that to me. And that makes me not want to talk to you guys at all. She told me now she has a relationship with them. They are more understanding and they're willing to learn how to be an ally as opposed to, I guess, give these dismissive comments or just even people telling me that they felt alone and suicidal until they saw that there was 40,000 other people that felt the same exact way. (laughs) Knowing that it's making a difference on an individual basis, it's really my main priority. I always said, if this makes a difference for one person or makes one person feel less alone, it's worth it for me because... I felt alone in the beginning of my journey. It feels extremely isolating and it feels like you're the only person going through this. So to see 40,000 other people feeling the exact same way and being raw and vulnerable, it really does make a difference and it makes you realize, okay, I'm not the only one. I don't feel crazy.
1: I love that you almost went through this internal healing journey by Going alongside other people's healing journeys, if that makes sense. Because I do think a lot of our most difficult experiences in life are meant to be shared, are meant to be beacons of light and hope for people that are going through the exact same thing. Because at the end of the day, like we are resilient people, and especially like people like you that have gone through these traumatic experiences and have come out on the other side with this vibrant voice. Like that is so inspiring. Can you remember? Someone in your personal life, because you're talking about this girl's parents, that also had a change of heart after seeing your work or seeing your post, etc.
0: It's kind of funny because for me now, but you don't look sick, it feels like an inside joke. There was definitely people in my personal circle that didn't necessarily understand my condition or They would kind of give me the same dismissive comment of, oh, but you look so good, or you look so great today. I don't Mm -hmm. get why you don't want to go. You look fine. I want to say when the book was published, it kind of gave them sort of an idea of, okay, maybe I shouldn't make this comment, or I sort of get it. But now, since it's grown so much, and there's so many people that share the same quote and the same phrase, I see so many... People constantly just posting pictures of themselves saying, oh, but you don't look sick. I know it's spread to reach these people. And it's funny seeing the change in the people even around me, knowing that I've made it such a public thing where it's not something that brings me down anymore. It's almost like a joke. If you're going to tell me, but you don't look sick, look at what I'm the founder of it. It makes me laugh at this point.
1: (laughs) You said it's like an insider joke, but it's also... A good redirection because rather than saying, "Oh, it's something's wrong with me," because maybe I should look more sick or maybe I should be sharing my story more or whatever. Like, yes, all that is great, but I like how you coined it and aware. If someone says that phrase, like "but you don't look sick," then it reflects more on them and more on why they are being a little bit ignorant or just uneducated around this topic. Because I definitely feel people that are going through these illnesses like should not have that burden oh, I'm being burdensome or I'm the one that's causing this sort of tension or awkwardness or whatever. So
0: no matter what, everyone has something about them. They have some issue that they're dealing with. They have some struggle. It's not just localized to the chronically ill community or disabled people. We don't need to pretend like we have it together all the time. And I think there's beauty, like you said, in sharing those struggles and just being real with one another.
1: Could you share a story of a time where you faced adversity regarding this journey of yours, whether it was with the nonprofit, the book or any sort of like that publicity that came along with all of this dialogue that you created online?
0: In the beginning, so many people didn't understand or believe in what I was doing when I shared the idea of But You Don't Look Sick. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to create a social media page and a website, I think it can be something. Everyone kept asking me, what's your business plan? What's your idea? To me, that didn't make sense. I don't have a business plan. I just want to share my story. I just want to talk with these people and relate. People who were more of an entrepreneur mindset, they didn't understand that. Well, no, you have to have a theme. You have to have a business plan. You have to have X, Y, Z. And for me, it was just being Real with people and about being vulnerable and sharing my story in real time with them. It's funny to see how much it's developed and grown, and to see these people being like, Yeah, I always knew it would work out and be awesome. And when really they were (laughs) like, Oh, I don't understand it or I don't get it. Are there actually that many people with invisible diseases out there that will relate to you? It's all the time. People don't necessarily believe in it, but One of my favorite sayings is that if people won't give you a seat at the table, build your own damn table. And that's been one of my (laughs) mottos always is I'm going to create it. If people want to sit at the table, they're welcome to. If not, cool. (laughs) I have my own damn table and I'm happy.
1: With all of the new opportunities that like women have nowadays compared to decades and decades ago, having that seat at the table is some sort of this societal thing that's meant to be associated with success your journey was authentic. It was organically born. And I do think some of that is more important than having a business plan or having some sort of like profit structure or whatever. You are like the main voice behind your brand and then everything else will follow. What about your growth personally and professionally as you counteracted these naysayers. Also, you know, began your nonprofit, which is also a very technical endeavor. What have you gone through and grown as
0: a person? People always ask me if you could press a button and not be sick, or if you could magically have never gotten sick. For me, that stumps me because yeah, we want to be better. We want to feel better. I want that more than anything. I want to hit remission. But I don't know that I would necessarily Take it back because it's taught me so much as an individual with empathy and compassion. I think everyone needs to suffer a little bit to learn compassion, learn empathy, because otherwise we wouldn't even be having this conversation if we wouldn't have suffered a little bit. I think there's beauty in that. I think there's always going to be some resistance when you have this idea if other people don't believe in it. And that's fine. For me, I was always in the nonprofit realm and the business realm before this. After graduating, I did project management for medical institutions and nonprofits, kind of helped them from the ground up. And after doing it enough times and fighting with them to listen to the patient voice and listen to what the patients have to say, it kind of hit me. Why am I going to sit here and fight with these different medical institutions and nonprofits to do what I want them to do. Why don't I just do it myself? If I'm helping them start from the ground up anyways, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it the right way and help people instead of trying to make a profit from it. I think that's a big difference. I eventually want there to not be a need for, but you don't look sick. I want there to be enough conversation and enough talk to where people realize how messed up the system currently is, realize how much people have been hiding and not talking about their struggles to where you don't even need to be a thing. I would love that one day. It's different than I guess most businesses think and they want to last forever. They want to think of how they can grow more, or bigger. And for me, I just want people to be helped out. And I just want patients to be listened to at the end of the day.
1: And it is also very strategic too, because, you know, I'm on the board for this nonprofit healthcare clinic, and their mission is also just to eradicate the need for that nonprofit clinic because of all these people that can't afford health insurance. And the thing is, like, especially with my limited knowledge of the medical world, especially with these people that. Don't have access to the like early medications or whatever. When when that problem worsens, it creates like all these expensive like emergency room visits, etc. So being proactive about getting this awareness out there and making sure that people can get those proactive medications so that it doesn't worsen and you know becomes a bigger deal. I think that's very important. Like, do you agree with that or?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that was a main focus of mine is whole person health and care and. A joke that we always said in school was that all the medical systems outside of the U.S. are very similar, and Mm -hmm. the U.S. is very focused on profiting. So there's this issue of people being on top of a mountain and people keep falling off this mountain. Other countries realize this and they put a fence up to keep people from falling. That's their preventative health. The U.S. figured this out and put an ambulance on the bottom to take people to the hospital. (laughs) So unfortunately, that's the reality of our current medical system. There needs to be a focus on this preventative health. And if you're having issues with your heart, how is taking heart medication going to help you if at the end of the day, they're not able to get food because they live in a food desert and they're eating food from a gas station every night? How is that going to be beneficial for their health? Or if they just dealt with a death in the family and they're extremely depressed and they're not even able to take care of their basic hygiene, how is overloading them with more medications going to be beneficial? It's not. So you really do need to take a look on the whole person and their bio-individuality and see, okay, every person is different and every person has a different need. And what can we do to prevent these issues from even starting up in the first place?
1: I see I love that viewpoint. Thank you for that. And did you go through any specific and impactful like mindset shifts, any old mindsets you were holding on to about limiting beliefs, imposter syndrome, or even any sort of self doubt or self burdening, and then freeing yourself from that to become a little bit more optimistic about the impact that you're having?
0: Yeah, I think it's really easy to fall into a negative mind space or negative mindset when you're dealing with all these health issues and for me my mental health was something that really struggled in the beginning of this journey I faced severe depression I had severe anxiety and finding a right the right psychologist was extremely important for me. I found a psychologist that helped me a lot work on my mindset and just changing my perspective and for me that was huge in I guess my overall health, because if you're pessimistic and sitting there, it's not going to be very beneficial for your health. And for me, I was kind of always someone who's overly positive, I can be going through a crappy situation, I can be laughing and cracking jokes. But I didn't realize how much that was harming me and how much I wasn't actually talking about the struggles where we fall into that. False positivity and that toxic positivity field. So I realized there's a huge power in being realistic and being honest. And you don't always need to be positive and pretend like it's okay. There's power in saying that you're struggling. And that was a huge shift for me. It was realizing it's okay to not be okay. And I don't need to have it together all the time because I would get, I guess, pretty terrible news like when you get a new diagnosis or medical issues come up, and I would pretend to be okay. And deep down, I was feeling like crap, and I was feeling miserable, but I didn't want to scare the people around me. And I didn't want to make people feel uncomfortable. So it was really harming me more than it was actually helping me with anything. And then the people around me felt like they couldn't tell me that they were scared or that they were struggling because I seemed okay about it. Why would they want to? talk to me and upset me about it. So I think it's extremely important to just be honest. And that was something that really changed my perspective and really everything and really shifted everything for me.
1: Yeah, I think it's powerful when you could Again, just open up a conversation where you are not holding back because you don't want to be a burden. We all suffer with this oddly counterproductive desire to add value to people without ever needing anything. But that's not how a relationship works, right? Like you have to give and take, and these people that love you, that truly care about you, will want to be there for you at your lowest points. So I love that you preach that just, you know, being honest, because that's what this whole podcast is about too. So. But yeah, and when you think about yourself, did you ever think you would be leading a nonprofit? And what have you learned about leadership?
0: For me, that's the crazy part is even back when I wanted to become a veterinarian, back when I wanted to do everything, that was the end of the line dream for me, right? Was one day I want to own a nonprofit. But the idea back then was I want to maybe run a nonprofit for animals, you know, or an animal sanctuary. So, for me, it really seemed like a far fetched idea of like the end of my lifeline, maybe in my 50s or something. So, the fact that it all, I guess, ended up here and really all the pieces just pointed towards, okay, this needs to be a nonprofit. I know I can help people more. It's still pretty mind blowing to me. And whenever I got that like big binder of like, But You Don't Look Six, officially nonprofit and all the documents. And I saw my name on there as the founder of the nonprofit. I was like, this is pretty crazy. This feels like surreal. So it's definitely something that still feels mind blowing to me every day.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you should never get desensitized to these like really joyful moments where you're like, oh, I accomplished something huge or I accomplished something really big that I've been dreaming about for so long. So yeah, I love hearing that story. And when you think about how people perceive you online, you know, your big Instagram page and all of your successes and everything. Can you tell people what they don't see behind the scenes that people may not be aware of that goes into all the planning and the preparation and how it's not glamorous necessarily all of the
0: time, you know? I think the best part about the social media page is so many people assume I have this huge team. So like I always get messages and be like, can you and your team please look into this or can your team look into this or, oh, you should tell your team to do this. And it always makes me (laughs) laugh because I'm like, what team? It's just me. Like I'm here responding to the DMs. I'm here planning and making all the posts. When I do podcasts, I'm editing the podcasts. I'm doing all of this myself. And then I'm doing all the nonprofit stuff myself as Mm -hmm. well. And I think people always assume there's a bunch of people doing this stuff and that there's all this planning and I don't know, maybe we're a corporate thing or something, but like, it's not the case. It's just me. And it's just me sharing my story and being honest. And just because there's a big following doesn't mean that there's Mm -hmm. a bunch of people behind it. And I think a lot of people Mm
1: -hmm. fail to realize
0: that a lot of the time. So it's pretty interesting to kind of see that assumption from people.
1: I see. Yeah, I've actually gotten the same assumption with this podcast as well. And I'm definitely like a solopreneur, but not really just solo. (laughs) So yeah, I totally understand with you there. And you know, kind of as we close off here, derived from your experiences, what advice would you give to people that are really hungry to put their voice out there in a nonprofit format or raise money for a cause that is really near and dear to their heart, or even people that are trying to share. An underappreciated message out into the world through a podcast or something.
0: Like, what advice do you have for them,
1: especially when it's something so intimate to you?
0: I think the biggest thing is be authentic. People really resonate towards you being authentic. I think if you're trying to imitate something or copy something or sound like someone, or I think it's great to take inspiration from people that you look up to. But if you're constantly taking messages from someone or constantly copying, it's not going to be authentic and it's only going to last so long. So don't do what you think might be popular, might get the most response. The best response I've seen is when I'm being authentic, when I'm being real and I think, okay, no one's going to like this. No one's going to care about it. It's not going to go anywhere but whatever I'm sharing it because it relates to me right now and that's when I get the most response to where when I share something that looks pretty that I think okay people are really gonna like this it might not get the most views because it's not as authentic and real and I think people really do resonate to being authentic and real so figure out what your voice is and what your why is and I think everything Falls into place that way as opposed to trying to be something that you're not.
1: For sure imitation is the best form of flattery, but it's not sustainable. And it's also not your most utmost potential revealed, in my opinion, because we all have that desire to be recognized for who we truly are. But when you put yourself out there in such a public format, through social media or some sort of other creative medium, there's definitely the potential loss of originality there. So yeah. And how do you keep
0: authentic in your own work without feeling the pressure of receiving? approval? I think for me, the biggest thing is I keep my social media life and my personal life very separate. I think people see how much I post on there or that I am very authentic and share the struggles, So they think I'm sharing everything or that I'm thinking of what to write up, but I don't necessarily like post pictures. Mm -hmm. I've been with my boyfriend for five years and I'm not posting pictures of my relationship and talking about that. I'm not necessarily posting pictures of my family or my house. I'm keeping it more focused on what's going on in the medical side of things and with this message. And for me, I think that helps a lot with keeping it separate. And I don't have any notifications on for social media. I just can't deal with it. So for me, I don't check unless I'm logging into the apps and then I see what the messages are. So for me, a lot of the time, I have an idea for something and I oftentimes write it up into notes. When you see this captions and stuff, I usually write all those captions in my notes. And then if I have a picture that relates to it, I will post it. And then I usually exit out of the social media app and don't even know how it does until I log back in later. So for me, I really, as bad as it sounds, I don't care how it does. If one person likes it, and it makes a difference for them. Awesome. If 20,000 people like it, that's awesome, too. But I don't even notice because I have my phone (laughs) and my notifications off. So I think that really helps me Keep it authentic because I'm not necessarily attached to the outcome.
1: Yes, that's great. Because again, it's sometimes more about the creation process and the meat of what you're trying to produce rather than the impact in a more superficial standpoint, you know, because like the likes and all of that, it can be like some sort of status for a lot of people, but then you're looking at it from the wrong reasons. Just like being profit driven in a business that's meant to be a nonprofit to eliminate the need for it. And any organizational tips? Just curious personally about how you manage everything since you are a one person team.
0: Yeah, for me, honestly, scheduling and writing things down is huge. I have a written down planner that I always keep on my desk. I keep everything written down and on a schedule and I really keep things realistic. I can't do 10 different activities in a day. I know I'm not going to be able to post and edit a podcast in a day and take pictures. So I go through my week and I think, okay, if I need to take pictures for a brand, I look at a day I might have meetings and be dressed up anyways and schedule to do it then. Or if I know I'm going to be hanging out at home more one day, I can edit a podcast that day and really planning ahead and scheduling and sticking to that schedule helps me because if I don't and I just keep it like, oh, I'll do it when I need to do it or when I have time for it, it's not going to get done. Just being realistic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great advice. Being realistic, guys. Don't overwhelm yourself. Don't try to defeat your physical limitations and your mental ones too because I've learned recently that if you're not energized in the moment, then sometimes it may take five hours to do something that would have taken one. So it's really about being strategic too. Like when am I going to do this? When I have the most energy, the most creative flow or the most type A, like let's just get organized kind of motivation. So yeah. But thank you so much, Melody, for being here. It's been a wonderful conversation. Where can everyone find you, support you, et cetera?
0: Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been awesome getting to talk with you. And if you guys are interested in following us, I am on Instagram at But You Don't Look Sick official. Or you can also follow us. We do have a website. It's www.ButYouDon'tLookSick.com. And it's uh, just a you instead of Y-O-U. But all that's linked on our Instagram and you can find all of the different places we are on there. <laughs> Thank
1: you so much, Melody. Everyone, make sure to go support her and her nonprofit. Is
0: there anywhere we could donate to that specifically? Yeah. So actually on our Instagram page, there is a donate button there. Otherwise, we do have it available on our website as well.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to us today. We have a new episode of Radically Honest every Tuesday. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at RadicallyPod. And we have RadicallyHonestPodcast.com for more behind the scenes, show notes, etc. So guys, thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank
0: you.